Allow me to read that text again, but this time from the message. Soon after, feast came around and Jesus was back in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate in Jerusalem. There was a pool in Hebrew called Bethesda with five alcoves. Hundreds of sick people, blind, crippled, paralyzed, were in these alcoves. One man had been an invalid there for 38 years. When Jesus saw him stretched out by the pool and knew how long he had been there, he said, do you want to get well? The sick man replied, sir, when the water stirred, I don't have anybody to put me in the pool. By the time I get there, somebody else is already in. Jesus said, get up, take your bedroll, start walking. The man was healed on the spot. He picked up his bedroll and walked off. Friends, this is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. As a thought for today, I offer, bless this mess. Let us pray. Oh, gracious and all-wise God, holy God, we give you thanks for this day. And Lord God, we just give you thanks for the opportunity to gather in this place. I thank you for those who will be watching online and even on delay. By the power of your Holy Spirit, oh God, I ask that you help me to preach and your people to hear whenever they hear it. But by the power of your Spirit, may the word go deep, Lord God. May it rattle in our souls and may it affect the way we think so that we might not just be hearers, oh God, but doers of your word, so that your name might be praised, your son glorified, and your kingdom on earth advanced. We pray every name in the, in the name of your son. His name is Jesus, and it is marvelous to our ears. Amen. Okay. I don't know whether you are familiar with the song Counting Stars by One Republic, right? Especially the line, and I just, I love the song, okay? Are you smiling? Okay, at least I got, I got a little recognition with the two young folks over there. Everything that kills me makes me feel alive. I love that song. Yeah, it's got a good rhythm. But it's really that particular line. Everything that kills me makes me feel alive. And we want to feel alive, don't we? There is some debate whether the artists, One Republic, are referring to an addict and his desire, a couple that's got issues, I'm not sure. But regardless, it is a song about a longing for a better life while at the same time knowing that any attempt to change one's life is in vain. In one way or another, we have all found ourselves in this predicament, the desire to change, the desire to be different, to live differently, to act differently, to be fully alive, all that we can be and were meant to be, but either not being able to do it or not knowing how. We long for a better life, a different life, a more fulfilling life, a life beyond the messes that we make, the messes that we are, and the messes that have been passed on to us. But we find it either too difficult to change, that we are powerless in the face of change, that change doesn't last, or that we're not willing to change. Bless this mess. As I said earlier, our Lenten sermon series is based on the book by Tom Berlin, Restored, Finding Redemption in Our Mess. 
We were all, and all means all, we were all created in the image of God. But sin distorts, mars that image, and affects and infects every aspect of our lives. It affects our motivations, our decision-making, our actions, our thinking. And because of sin, we often find ourselves in a mess. Some messes we create, some messes we inherit, and some messes are because of circumstances beyond our control. But it is God's desire and God's intent to redeem us from the mess, to restore us to new life in Christ, and to transform us, to change us from the inside out, to show us who and what God created us to be. Now, this is mostly good news. I know what you're saying, mostly? I mean, it's good news to know that there is life beyond the mess that we can have new life, new life, abundant life. But here's the catch. God is not going to wave some magic wand and we are instantly recreated. God does not want to create a new and improved version of our messed up selves. Rather, God seeks our total transformation and, and, and that kind of change is going to cost us something. It's going to cost our self-surrender. When I was at my home church, um, one of my dear friends, Dolores was old enough to be my mom, okay? But we were buddies, amen? Running buddies, amen? Dolores loved to be in the street, amen? Just doing nice stuff, nothing wrong. But I was her riding partner. She had had a little bit of paralysis, so a lot of times I'd go with her just to hang out. She was a sweet woman. But she had a son. I'm not going to say his name because she has five or six sons, so that's, I won't let you know. He was, you know how you say a hot mess? And it was a hot mess. You know, a little drugging, you know, incredibly talented, could build anything. You could describe something, you didn't have to draw it, and he could go and build it. An incredible craftsman. He would get jobs because people would want him on their team, and he wouldn't keep them. Eh, something always went wrong, okay? And my, this, young, this woman was always trying to get him into the church, trying to get him into the church, trying to get him in the church. And one day, he came down the aisle and joined the church. Oh, she was so happy. I was happy, mostly. Yeah, yeah, you know. Nothing really changed. Again, he had some housing issues, and so we, we gave him a place to stay in the church. And one day I'm in the church. I was the chair of Christian education. I'm getting something ready. And I opened the freezer, and there was a beer in it. I slammed it like, like it was going to jump out at me. <laughs> now, it's not that there's anything necessarily wrong with drinking a beer, but it was the church, you know. And so I had to go to the pastor. I'm like, there's beer in the freezer. And we had let him have a place to stay. And he went, well, what else was he doing in the church while we were not around? He wanted to keep doing what he had always done, but maybe just a little less of it. Or maybe he just really wanted God to bless it, to bless his mess. He didn't want to change or to put in the work with God's help to change. That's that bless the mess kind of thinking. Well, I ain't all that bad. Other people are worse than I am. 
He refused to see or acknowledge how his life, his thinking, his living was out of alignment with God and with God's will for his life. He kept going in the same direction he had always gone. He blamed everybody for the mess that he was in, especially his dad. He blamed the people on the job. He started to blame us, amen, that we were not supportive enough. And we're like, well, what else are we supposed to do? You, you get in the game with us. He offered excuses for the mess, but he never seemed to be aware or confessed his mess. So he continued. He continued to settle for less than God's best for his life. The transformation that God offers and the renewal of God's image requires us to take a deep dive into our actions and our attitudes and our habits to make a thorough examination of our lives. Too many of us are like my friend's son. We desire a quick stroke of grace. We hope for some kind of magic blessing, right? That would just make us all new. Okay, all I got to do is say, yes, Lord, and that's it. It magically happens. It's like the I dream of Jeannie. You know, she goes, blink, and there you go. But we are unwilling to confess and repent of our sins. Consequently, we grow accustomed to and make peace with our mess. Our mess can become familiar. Our mess can become comfortable, even tolerable. Do you have a friend that when you go into their garage, it's always a mess? They can clean it out, but it's as if the mess says, hey, this is our place, and it comes right back. And they seem okay with it, that you cannot park the car in the garage. There's some neighbors not far from where the parsonage is, and they have like five vehicles. So either they have like, Six vehicles or eight vehicles or they cannot park in their garage. Because it's a mess. There's some people, you, I know you go to their houses and they're okay with the mess. They're stepping all over it and you're looking at them like, do you see this right here? Have you ever watched the hoarders and you wonder, okay, now y'all, now look at him. Somewhere down the line, you had to have seen that this is a mess. And have you listened to those people? They, give, they can explain the mess. I'm all right with the mess. You don't want with the problem. You have a problem with my mess. Like, this is a mess. But we can just become comfortable with it. Well, sometimes we don't even see our mess. We learn to live with it and all of the fallout that it brings. Right? Because our mess eventually is going to mess with somebody else. It's as if we put a sign over our lives asking God to just bless the mess. But ours is not a messy God. Today we have the story of the man at the pool of Bethesda. You see, legend, rumor, or custom said that an angel would trouble the waters of the pool and the first person in the water would be healed. Jesus encounters the man and asks him what seems like a really crazy question. Do you want to be made well? Do you want to be healed? Do you want to be whole? Do you want new life? Now you would think that the man would answer immediately in the affirmative, but that's not what he does. He has been lying on that mat for 38 years. And you will surely think that after all that time, he would jump at the chance to be healed. But he doesn't. 
He doesn't even talk about his desire to be healed. He gets defensive. He wants Jesus to know that he has a good reason for not seeking a cure. Jesus has a reason why I'm still in my mess, that I'm still lying on this mat. See, Jesus, see, Jesus, I, I tried to get in, but by the time I make my way, somebody else already in. And you want to ask him, well, you don't have a little creativity? You don't know, just jump in. Maybe the Lord will bless you anyway, but, you know, there he is. But what do you expect after 38 years? When you have been in something that long, your mess can become you. You can become your mess. You have messed up thinking. 38 years. You mean you couldn't have asked somebody like, look here, man. In the last 10 years, I, I moved about 15 feet. I'm about five feet from the pool. Put me right there. But he just laid there. Year after year. Year after year, he just laid there. As one commentator points out, in his response, he invites pity. He avoids answering the question Jesus asks, which isn't a question about his circumstances, but rather about his heart, about his identity and his desires. Do you want to be made well? The answer should have been yes. Jesus' question invites the man to accept and acknowledge that he was sick and to understand that Jesus, that Jesus was able to heal him. It would have been better if he said, well, what you asking for? But that's not what he did. See, Jesus, when the water bought, I can't go over and somebody else get in and I'm still here. For us to experience healing and transformation, to move into the life that God wants to live in and through us, we must confess the mess. You can pretend like you ain't got no mess, <laughs> but... Here's the thing about the emperor. We all see your mess. We don't need to stay in bless the mess thinking. It's not that bad. I'm not that bad. There are people who are worse. I've survived it this long. I'll be all right. Right? Bless the mess thinking. We need to stop trying to hide it. Some of us think that nobody sees our mess. Everybody sees your mess. We think we can handle the mess until it becomes unmanageable because that's what happens with a mess. No one starts their life by saying, I want to be messy. But the more you don't deal with it, the more mess is going to come. God's grace, God's justifying grace comes into our lives so that we might see ourselves and our mess for who and what we are and what it is, sin. I don't like talking about sin. Do we? This grace, justifying grace, comes in our life not to condemn us, but to save us so that we might be fully alive. And thing that makes us alive doesn't kill us, but saves us. Makes us alive not to condemn us but to help us to overcome our habits and our attitudes and our thinking that limits our lives in so many ways. Just because you don't say it doesn't mean you didn't think it. 
Okay. Just because it's in our heart, we may not say it, but it's in our hearts. People know you by your attitude. My husband will meet, meet people, and he just sits there, and, and Anthony's a little bit of an introvert, okay? So he watches you. And then he'll go, hmm, she's messy. That's his phrase, she's messy. This little chatter. You can always tell people who are messy. They th and believe it or not, they think you can't tell. But you really can, right? God's grace comes into our lives so that we can look at our lives, look at our habits, look at, look at who we really are to begin the process of our transformation. But we can't be transformed until we recognize and we admit, we confess who and what we are. Do we name our mess? Friends, whether you are sitting here online, I don't know what mess you are in. I don't know what mess you have made of your life. I don't know what mess has happened to you, but don't settle for the mess. Jesus is asking us the same question that he asked the man. Do you want to be made well? Do you want to be whole? Do you want to be fully alive in Jesus' name? Do you want to get out of the mess? Are we willing to offer up excuses? See, you know, my mama and my, I just, yeah. And the hurt and the mess that has happened that we inherited, that, that, that's for real. But you can't stay in that messed up thinking. I, I'm pretty able to now to tell people that, you know, I have abandonment issues but rooted in my father's death when I was six years old. I don't remember anything before I was six years old, really. Not too much. I think my little six-year-old brain said, well, we got, he's gone. We might as well click that out of my head. Let's go on. Let's go on forward. Okay? But I can't live in that messed up thinking. I can't let that determine my behavior, influence my attitude toward others and relationships. Otherwise, it's just going to be more mess. So I had to name it. I had to confess it. I had to give it to God so Jesus could redeem me out of the mess. And because I named it, I know I can sense when I start to act out of the mess. And I go, nope, 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 nope. Jesus has redeemed me from the mess. I don't have to live in the mess any longer. God's grace comes into our hearts to show us the truth about ourselves. Some of us don't want to look. But we can't be healed of the mess if we're not going to name the mess. And I don't care how long you've been in it. Five years, 10 years, 38 years, 50, 60 years. I don't care if everyone in your family has been in it or you don't know anybody who's ever gotten out of the mess. I am here to tell you today that God wants to redeem you, that God can redeem you out of the mess. God's grace is greater than our mess. Amen? Amen. Amen and amen.